0: jesus name amen well thank you for your hospitality Uh, as has been introduced my name is brian hughes i serve as the the rector which is our anglican fancy word for head pastor of holy spirit anglican church and i am married to my wife mandy and we have three young kids uh, that are nine seven and four so our house is never quiet uh, even when they're asleep, they find ways to make noise. So it's amazing. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge we have some Holy Spirit people there in, in the back holding up the... There we go. And uh, So um, thank you for coming this morning. You, you're double dipping. I assume so. You guys should all be there at 4 o'clock. So. Um. <laughs> But we really have been blessed by this partnership, and it has been more than, in our experience, it's been more than, oh, we pay rent to this other church. It's really been a partnership, and the blessing of the the shared office space, of the shared Good Friday service we were able to do, uh, it's just amazing. Y'all are an amazing congregation. You have great pastors Uh, at least what we get to see Uh, and uh, so we're so thankful for that Uh, there's also i just think a sign of the goodness of god's grace the power of the gospel in our two congregations sharing sharing the space together and being in partnership together it was uh, anglican leadership you know 300 350 years ago who made it a little uncomfortable for you non-conforming non-prayer book using types So maybe we contributed to booting you out of our country or your country. And uh, so I think it is a great sign of God's uh, sense of humor and justice that we now pay you rent. Um, uh, There's something good there. There's something more than just a joke. There's something about the power of the gospel that that where the world might have written that relationship off, 350, years. there's never going to be a time when Anglicans and Baptists can be in the same room together. Now there's partnership. And it's just a sign of the the goodness of the cross, the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection life, uh, that even even in this just sharing space together. So we're thankful that the gospel is proclaimed even in that way. Uh, So I get to come to you this morning and talk in your Advent series about the wisdom of God. Uh, Last week, uh, Josh, Pastor Josh, talked to you about the Word of God. Uh, Next week, you're going to hear about the angel of the Lord, and then you'll hear about the child of the Lord. And these are uh, categories that we can find in the Old Testament, ways in which the being of God, who he is as triune, is declared in the pages of that First Testament uh, which we call the old testament uh, now we I, I think we're super familiar with the concept of jesus as the word of god uh, i think the, the angel of the lord is a familiar category for some of us of when we read the old testament we see this voice uh, coming to moses for example out of the burning bush and we have this sense there's something different going on here and then obviously with the child you know you read isaiah 7 and the promise of the emmanuel child and we think ah oh, yes here is jesus But wisdom is a strange category, I think. It's not one that we often think of when we think about Christ, of who he is and what the Old Testament is doing and what it's telling us about God. So I do want to give us a little sense of why are we even talking about the wisdom of God? Uh, And one of the reasons why we would do that is because the, the apostolic witness of the New Testament does point us in that direction. It says something about, the, about Christ can be understood. He was received and, and unpacked in his significance by the apostles in the early church through this category of wisdom. And we, we read already from 1 Corinthians two, which speaks to that. Um, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter one, I think we have this verse to put up on the screen if there we go. Uh, this is Paul is, is writing to this uh, conflicted church in Corinth. Uh, And then he says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul is saying that Christ is the wisdom of God, that there's something about this, this declaration, this title where you can understand who Jesus is. And the one we are proclaiming, the gospel centers around one who one of his titles or ways to understand him is the wisdom of God. But it's not just Paul. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 24, he has that great conversation with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's so intriguing that they can't recognize Jesus. They don't see him. And then Jesus leads the only Bible study led by the risen Lord, right, in his, in his flesh as he, as he brings the disciples together and he, he pours over the word with him. And he says, you should have known you should have known the whole thing, the scriptures of Israel, Moses and the prophets, they all tell you about this, this life that I've lived and the death and resurrection that I've just gone through. But what's interesting for us as we come today to think about wisdom is the way he addresses them. He says, oh, foolish ones. Well, this, is a, this is a wisdom word. The opposite of being wise is being Foolish. So what Paul has declared in 1 Corinthians 1 is that the Christ we proclaim is the wisdom of God, that there's something there. And then Jesus, in this conversation with the disciples who didn't quite understand him in his fullness, he's saying, your problem is you lack wisdom. You're foolish. You missed something about the nature of who I am. You missed out on wisdom. But it doesn't just stop there even before his resurrection. Uh, there's a great passage in Matthew 11. This is when, uh, when John the Baptist sends to Jesus and says, "Did I get it right, Jesus? Because it's kind of cold and I'm hungry in this prison. Uh, are you the one who is to come, uh, or are we to look for another?" And and Jesus. answer says, look, look at the ministry I'm doing. It fulfills Isaiah's prophecies, particularly Isaiah 35. You know, the the blind are able to see, the lame are able to walk, the the dead are being raised. A new thing is coming about. So those messengers go back, and then Jesus starts to talk to the crowds, and he's talking to them about about John the Baptist, and we can put up the next verse here from Matthew 11. It says, what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates We can go to the next one. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So here's another another instance where people aren't understanding who Jesus is. And Jesus, in his response, says, think of wisdom. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. There's something that you need. There's some category and ability to discern that you need in order to properly properly see who I am and what I'm doing. So that's why, or one of the many reasons why, we can be drawn to understand Christ through this category of wisdom. And if we want to ask the question of, well, what is wisdom? What is this category Jesus is pointing his disciples to, the crowds to, that Paul is declaring Christ is the wisdom of God, the best place for us to turn is the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at Proverbs 1 for a few minutes, and then we're going to go to Proverbs 8. Uh, Proverbs 1 uh, starts the book off with a purpose statement. It's like a great high school essay. You know when you're starting off your essay you say this is why i'm writing my essay well proverbs is one of the few books of the bible that actually does this say hey you're reading this book because at the end of this book our objectives and goals are that you are and it goes on this is what proverbs chapter one if you have one of the bibles that's provided in the pews it's on page 527 i probably gave you that page number a little late because i heard a lot of flipping around and that's cool. this is how Proverbs chapter one starts. It says the, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. We'll stop there for a moment. So Proverbs is saying the whole goal of this book that, that we're just opening now is to first and foremost, foster wisdom to make you wise to make me wise to make those who open the book to have us know something about wisdom and if you know about the book of proverbs you know that, that much of the book chapters 10 through 31 is taken up with these short sayings uh like a proverbs like uh like like we have i mean you could just turn to anywhere in proverbs and just i'll pick a random one better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who's crooked in speech and a fool okay uh, another one, whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. These are just short sayings that, that, that are meant to kind of guide what you do in life. We have them, right? Uh, like uh, all's fair in love and war. But you can just pull this short saying, saying out. Like, aha, I know what to do now because all's fair in love and war. I know what not to do now because look before you leap, right? These are things that we could just pull out. And they're, they're like rules or something that we could apply to a situation. And if we, if we just stop there, we might think that wisdom means memorizing all of these short sayings that Proverbs has in chapters 10 through 31. But then the introduction goes on. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Well, if, if being wise means just memorizing all the rules to then know you know, how to, how to make good decisions, how to make the, the decision that's going to get you the most, you know, economic advancement or, or go farther in friendships or relationships, then why is it the wise have to come back and increase in learning? Proverbs is telling us you actually need something more than what the book has, the short sayings. You need more than that in order to really be wise in order to really understand what it means to be successful in this world, to be aware of what's going on, to know how to navigate your life. This isn't the only place in Proverbs that the book does this and tells you you need more than just the words on the page. One of my favorite places is in Proverbs 26. So uh, we have Proverbs 26, verse 4 up there. So this is another one of those short sayings. You know, memorize it, pull it out at the right time. Proverbs 26, four says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay, so imagine yourself at your favorite coffee shop. You're sitting across from somebody that you're having a problem respecting. You might put them in the category of a fool. They say something foolish. According to this proverb, what should you do? I've told Baptists, like, respond in sermons. Anglicans don't. We don't. If it's not on the screen, we don't say it all right we're very liturgical people but if somebody says something foolish according to this proverb what should you do don't answer him right don't step in and be like ah that's actually not a good thing to say no 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 according to this proverb don't answer them because you don't want to look like a fool yourself great we've got the rule memorized we're going to pull it out next time we're at that coffee shop next verse in proverbs up on the screen verse 5 answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. So according to Proverbs 26, verse 5, you're at that coffee shop. Your friend says something foolish. What should you do? Answer them. What? What I love is that the Bible put these right next to one another, right? It didn't hide it a few chapters away. It puts it right next to one another. And it's saying, hey, if you really want to be wise, it means more than just memorizing these words. Because what you actually need is you need a sense of what's going on, of who God is, of, 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 of what he wants of you in your life to know when to apply these different rules. When to, when to go in one direction or the other. Actually, a few verses later in Proverbs 26, it says, uh, like a lame man's legs is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Okay, so it's saying, hey, if you've just memorized these, you gotta keep going. There's something more that you need. So we've come to this book to answer this question, what is wisdom in order for us to understand who Christ is? The book is telling us that it's about this, this bigger sense of the world. And Proverbs 1:7 says this. That we're going back to the beginning there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction so as the book is is introducing you to this whole collection of short sayings it throws up a flag and says you're going to need more than just the sayings if you really want to be wise what you really need at the start of it is you need a relationship with god you need to have a certain orientation or, or disposition in which God is alive and real to you. And that uh, you know who you are in his presence. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It's the, it's the Old Testament's version of faith in Jesus Christ. The two work similarly in the, in the two testaments. So it's saying, if this is where you start. Are you open to God in your life? And we can see that in Jesus' ministry, right? That, that even if you're going to consider following him, You have to have this sense, this openness to the living God. If you don't, I mean, you'd be like Pilate, right? Just, eh, whatever. I don't want to deal with you. Uh, But the first step for us understanding Christ through this category of wisdom is a sense of openness uh, to God, fear of the Lord, this relationship with him. Um, But the book doesn't just leave us there. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are designed to fill out this fear of the Lord designed to fill out what sort of orientation do you need to have in life in order to properly understand the short sayings that take up proverbs 10 through 31 and so we're going to come to proverbs 8 and we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time in this chapter i should warn you now i'm writing my dissertation on proverbs 8 so i've got a big clock right there it's good Uh, otherwise we'll be here for a long time Uh, but Proverbs 8 is the longest speech of wisdom in the book. Uh, There are three voices in Proverbs 1 through 9. The first voice is the voice of a father teaching his child. That represents the tradition, the, the, the written down words, that for you to have this openness to God, you need to pay attention to how other people have had an openness to God. The second voice in Proverbs 1 through 9 that helps you cultivate this lively sense of God's presence is the voice of wisdom herself. She speaks at three points in these verses. And Proverbs 8 is the longest speech that she has. Uh, um, there's a third voice that we'll get to in a few minutes. So Proverbs chapter 8 starts with this in the verse three verses. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroad, she takes her stand, Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. So here we have something that's more than just the words on the page that is confessed through these verses to be a living reality at work in the world. You've got this rhetorical question, does not wisdom call? Yes, it expects that answer. Yes, there is something, someone that has a personal voice calling to us in the world. And, the, and the, 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 these verses are making sure we're aware of that. Now, what's interesting is the places that are named in verses 2 and 3 are places where there's a concentration of human interaction. So wisdom is not calling out in the, the wilderness. Wisdom is not calling out where there are no people present. It's not the tree falling in the forest. Nobody hears it, that kind of thing. But the places that are named in verses 2 and 3 are places of a lot of people. The heights in a city are, are the, the place where you would put the temples. Or in Israel and Jerusalem, the temple. It's where people gather to worship God, where they talk about spiritual matters. And Proverbs 8, 2 is saying that is where wisdom is calling out to you. At uh, The crossroads, these are places in the town where, you know, paths or roads come together. You might bump into your neighbor. And you have a conversation with them about, you know, hey, what's going on in your home? What's, what's going on with your kids? What's going on with your family? So, so wisdom is calling out not just in places where we talk spiritual things, like in churches, but it's also calling out in neighborhoods where we talk domestic things. There, wisdom is calling out. And then verse 3 speaks of the places where, where uh, economic and political decisions are made. In the ancient world, you didn't have City Hall tucked away in the center of the city. City Hall was at the gates, where, where the, the farmers and the shepherds and, and people who lived out in the countryside would intersect with the city dwellers. And that's where you'd make your deal. That's where you'd say, okay, I really want to buy—I uh, was going to use the example of wine, but we're in a Baptist church—I want to buy— grain right i want to buy corn so i go to the city gates and that's where i find the farmer has brought in their crop and i'm there and we're going to have this transaction and this conversation or there's an issue of justice of of you know uh, uh, somebody has broken the torah the law well all the elders gather at the city gates and that's where they make those decisions and in those places wisdom says she is calling out she can be found now, it strikes me is we're coming to this passage because we want to understand Christ. We want to understand how this both points us forward to Christ, but also how Christ can be understood through its language. That Christ did a lot of calling out, didn't he? He goes and he finds people where they are in their lives. You just think early on in the gospel where he finds the fishermen. And he says, I'm, I'm calling out to you. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is constantly, except those places where explicitly told that he goes away from the crowd, but he is constantly bumping into people. Constantly even bumping into his enemies, right? Why does Jesus spend so much time talking to the Pharisees? He could have avoided these people, right? They, They wore special clothes that let you know they were coming. But it seems like Jesus is seeking them out. He's calling out to them. So the first three verses tell us of this call of wisdom in these places of human interaction. Verses 4 through 11 tell us a little bit about what this call is. As we want to be people who hear the voice of wisdom, as we seek to understand Christ and his call, what is he calling? This is verses 4 through 11. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. In this first part of Wisdom's speech, she is, is calling out to all sorts of people and inviting them to, uh, to, to, to figure out what do they want. Who do they want to be? Uh, the first verse says, To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. Now, what's interesting there is that uh, the words in the Hebrew that are chosen are words that are to all sorts of people. There's, there's a lot of different words in Hebrew you can use to talk about humanity or people. You just In the English translations, you can think of people, peoples, uh, the nations, Israel. You, th- you can think of uh, all sorts of ones. But, but these are, seem to be explicitly very generic. No matter who you are, wisdom is calling out to you. In New Testament language, we think, Jew and Gentile, Christ calls out, right? The next verse talks about people who we would not think are qualified to answer wisdom call, the simple and the foolish. Uh, you think of, again, 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen the foolish of the world, those who are nothing, in order to raise them up and make them something, right? Wisdom here is calling even to people who we don't think are qualified for it. But then she, she talks about what, she offers them, and she uses these, these words that we might call virtues or, or qualities or, or uh, uh, things that we want to be, desire. She talks about things being noble, things being right, things being true, things being righteous, uh, straight or straightforward, right. right. She's saying, this is what I have to offer you, but you're only going to want it if you want to be noble, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be the kind of person who's straightforward. So wisdom's call here, as even as she's describing the content of what she has to offer, it tells us that, that in, these, in these places of human interaction, where you can kind of see what she's doing or, or kind of sense her call is in your desires of what kind of person you want to be. Now think of this. In, in, uh, in like commercial interactions, you know i don't know if you've uh, let's let's say what's one that's really morally ambiguous buying a car right buying a car i we bought a car a couple of years ago i never want to do that again i get why like the online car thing but you just feel the tension of is this guy trying to cheat me am i trying to cheat him what should I be willing to pay? What should I not be willing to pay? That in that moment, our, our desires, our morals, our virtues are sort of called into question. What kind of person do we want to be here? Do we want to be somebody who gets the best deal? Or do we want to be somebody who's honest, right? Do we want to, do we want to as, you know, as the sticker price comes out, do we want to say, yes, I can pay that? You probably should never say that to a car salesman, Right. Or do you want to be like, oh, I can't really pay that? Or do you, want to, do you want to start insulting the person and saying, you're trying to swindle me or whatever? You have a lot of options there of how to interact with this person, of what direction you should go. Uh, and, and it has to do with what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who's, who's seen as speaking straightforwardly, righteousness, truth? Or do you want to be somebody who acts a little bit more selfishly? who just wants the best deal for themselves, the fastest, easiest way to get that. That is a moment where wisdom is calling out. And it's tugging at our desires. And it's a tug because there are other voices. There are other desires. And this gets into, I talked to you, or I said there were three voices in Proverbs 1 through 9. The, the other voice is what one of my Old Testament students called the shady lady. Uh, I don't know if any of you have, have read Proverbs 1 through 9. But there's this, this other figure. Wisdom is presented to us as a, as a woman, as a female figure, but she has her opposite in the shady lady. Uh, she is one who invites the young man to come and indulge his pleasures and his fantasies. But Proverbs says that that quick and easy path to what you want leads to death. And, and the book is saying, and what's interesting is that the shady lady where she calls out has a lot of overlap of where wisdom calls out. And the kind of things, kind of words that she uses have a lot of overlap with the words that wisdom uses in Proverbs 1 through 9. It's telling you that in these moments, like, in that, oh, i got to have this thing with the, the used car guy or the, the new car salesman person, that there, there is a battle that's going on. There are multiple voices that you can listen to. Do you want to listen to the voice of wisdom and be somebody who is noble and righteous and and who hates wickedness and who loves truth? Or do you want to be the opposite? Do you want to be somebody who just gets what they want no matter what the cost? Now, the book says this way leads to death. And the next few verses tell us what wisdom's way leads to. It leads to a very different kind of life. She continues, she says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So, Uh, wisdom as acknowledging, okay, I'm calling to you. I'm calling to you in these places where we're having human interaction. And again, we see Christ is doing that. And there's, there's this struggle. There's this appeal that happens of, do I want to be the kind of person that wisdom has? Or do I want to be the shady lady type, right? Nothing, nothing against ladies, and they're, they're not, it's not man versus woman's voice. It's two women's voice speaking. But, but you've got this way that leads to death. And then wisdom says, look, if you choose me instead of death, I will lead you into this kind of life. And the kind of life that she offers is one where your life is a blessing to other people, where your life enables other people to thrive. And we see that particularly in verses 14 to 16. Wisdom says that she is the one who gives kings what they need to rule. She says that she's the one who enables just rulership of princes. Uh, In in two weeks, uh, Pastor Dustin Rudolph, I don't know how y'all... You got two dustins. How do you do it? That's amazing. But um, is going gonna, is gonna to preach on the child of the Lord. I'm, I'm sure he's going to, like Isaiah 11, you're going to go through that. So there, there's overlap here. As you read uh, Proverbs 8:14, 14, the, the kind of things that she says she has are the things that Isaiah 11, it says the messianic king will have. So wisdom is saying, I'm the one who gives that. And, but she's not saying this, not saying to you, hey, if you follow me, I'll make you a king or a queen. And that's, that just doesn't work. Uh, you can only have one king and one queen, right? As Anglicans were kind of monarchists at our heart. So we have, we have this thing about that, right? Only one. Uh, but what it's saying by, by wisdom saying, look, I will give you what I give kings is I will give you the ability to lead the, the kind of life that the ideal king lives. And the ideal king in the Old Testament is one who uses their power so that others can thrive in a godly life. David is held up as the ideal king because he used his kingship at the best of times so that godly worship could flourish in Israel. So that true justice, according to God's Torah, would flourish in Israel. So that the widow and the orphan and the fatherless, as Torah talks about, would be taken care of. So that people would be able to to get the, the produce of the land of their work. David's rule was ideal because he used his power so that godly life could thrive for other people. When he went wrong is when he chose his own things, right? His own fantasies, uh, or or decided that he wanted to, to be somebody who just built up power for himself. And we see so many of the other kings of the northern and southern kingdoms go that direction. That's not what kingship is about in the Old Testament. And so wisdom is is taking that teaching and saying, look, as you choose me, as you choose to follow me, I will give you a different kind of life. One where your life enables godly living to flourish around you. Now we can hear this in Jesus's call as well. As he calls out to people and invites them to be disciples, he shows that he is living this kind of life, right? Even to John the Baptist, he said, look, The the blind can see. The the lame can walk. I am enabling life in people. And his call to his disciples was to follow him and to learn to do what he was doing. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He sent out the 72, right? To do what he was doing. So Jesus is taking up, he's fulfilling this, this role of being the one who enables others to enable godly life around them. This is what wisdom is inviting people to. And there's, there's real insight here. Even in uh, I lo- verse 17, I love those who love me. You know, Jesus, he talks a surprising amount about love. For many years of my Christian life, I thought love was too fuzzy a thing. But then I realized that God, it's kind of God's thing. You know, maybe we get our definition wrong, and we don't kind of go about it the right way. But wisdom is saying, look, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be this kind of person who enables God living in the lives around you, you have to be anchored in divine love. And I give that to you. And, and isn't it a wonderful thing? We see that in our Lord. That we don't, as has already been declared through the worship service today, that the Lord loves us. He is the fount of love. And it's out of that that we can continue in this mission and this way of life. Now, we might we might. Pause and say, "Okay, what gives wisdom the right to do this? After all, in the Old Testament, you've got you've got the Lord God, and you have these other categories. You have the Word of the Lord, wisdom, angel, things like that that y'all are talking about. Um, But you know, it's not always clear how they relate to one another. So, what gives wisdom the right to offer this? And this is what she talks about in the next few verses." And this gets into uh, some of the, the biggest controversies the church has had, even though it's surprising for a lot of us modern readers. Uh, verses 22 to 31, wisdom continues her speech. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the sons, or sorry, in the children of men. So wisdom here, she's, she's, she's let you know, okay, wherever human interaction takes place, there is the call of wisdom. And the call is basically this tug about who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to have the virtues that I offer, that I am? Or do you want to go the path of the shady lady? If you follow me, your life will be transformed into one of blessing. And the reason I can offer you that is because of my unique relationship with the Lord. Wisdom declares in the first few verses that I read that she is uniquely and intimately related to the Lord God. You can see there in uh, verses 24 and 25 that she's saying that she was birthed by God. This word brought forth, it's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew word which talks about the travail and the pain of childbirth uh, that many of you have, have gone through and some of you quite recently have gone through. And she's saying, look, my relationship with the Lord, I can offer this to you. I can call for your commitment to me. Because I was birthed by the Lord. The rest of creation was created, shaped, all that other stuff, but only wisdom was birthed. And she repeats over and over again. This all happened before there was anything else. I don't know if you all have ever been in, in a conversation with somebody who likes to reiterate how old they are and how different things were when they were younger. Well, you just, this is what wisdom is doing. She said, y'all, in my day, we didn't even have hills. We didn't even have mountains, right? that's when I was born. No offense to anybody, like great respect. But uh, wisdom is saying that way back when is when she was brought forth. And so she can offer this kind of life to us because she has this unique and intimate relationship with the Lord. Not only that. But when God set about to create things, she was right there. When he did the creative work that Genesis 1 talks about, wisdom was right there. She was seeing as God ordered the chaos that existed. When he he brought things into the right alignment, when he separated the the sea and the dry land, the waters above, the waters below, when, when God was setting things in their right order so that there could be life in creation, so that true life could flourish, wisdom was there. So she can offer you that life and say that she will form you in that life because she saw God do it. She was right there when God brought creation into its perfect place of blessing where life could flourish and thrive. But she wasn't even done then. In verse 30, um, and, and I think... You know, no disrespect to the ESV. I think in verse 30, we should start translating these things in the present tense. Wisdom says, I am beside him. I am daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. So what she's saying is before creation... I had this unique relationship with God. During creation, I was the only one who was there who was seeing God do all this. And now, even now, I continue in this intimate relationship with the Lord. I'm not only his delight, but I delight in you. So in verses 22 to 31, we have a child of the Lord present through the creative act, now a mediator between God and humanity. And we get all these, I think, these, these alarm bells go off. And we can start to understand here how clear it is of why the apostles understood Christ through this category of wisdom. Jesus himself is even saying this in a lot of those controversial sayings in John's gospel. Before Abraham was, I am. He's cribbing from Proverbs 8. And as Paul talks about the, the, the pre incarnate Christ in Colossians one, Colossians one, the great hymn to Christ that is there, he is riffing on Proverbs eight. That that all of this is coming from this great teaching of wisdom and and Jesus being the eternal son of God, most of it is anchored in this language of wisdom. Most of it found here in Proverbs 8. But we can start to see how Christ, not only his ministry, but who he is, is anchored in this idea of being wisdom. And then the last few verses here of the poem. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear my instruction and be wise and do not neglect, neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So wisdom in in her calling out and her final exhortation here calls for our daily commitment. Our ultimate commitment. It sounds a lot like pick up your cross and follow me. Saying you got to wait at my gates. You got to wait at my door. It's to love me deeply. This whole idea of waiting at gates and doors gets repeated in the Song of Songs. Um, This idea of a a deep desire to be with the one you love. And wisdom is saying this is what it takes to be committed to me, to hear my call, to be formed in this way of life. So what we have through this chapter is this, this idea that there is a voice, a voice birthed of God calling out to Humanity to people and beckoning them into a life of blessing so that other people, other people to to enable the godly life to thrive. And as the as Christ went about his ministry, he did this right. We've pointed that out. He was the voice calling out. He was the voice who called people to commitment to him. He's a voice who, who brought about through his healing and through his, his whole proclamation of his ministry. And certainly in his death and resurrection, he brought about a different kind of life, right? Resurrection life. that was possible. And he continues to call. This is, the, the, I think, the, the, one of the key things about how the New Testament, how the apostles continue to go back to wisdom, to understand Christ. Is this idea that Christ, yes, his incarnation is unique and his death and resurrection is unique. It's not like any anybody else is going to come along and we're going to say like, oh, yeah, it's another one. No, 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 no. There's one Christ. And yet he is still alive today. And this voice that calls out continues to call through the ministry of Christ through his session, what he's doing, his reign, it continues to call out to people today. And this, as the early church sought to understand Christ, who he was in his ministry and who he continues to be, this is what they wanted to claim. That they knew this Christ to be the wisdom of God, this unique relationship, the one who can bring about the flourishing of true life, but that he continued to reign. He continued to be active. His voice continued to go out to people as as he called them to commitment to him. So y'all are, are, we're all, the whole church, we're in this Advent season, uh, which is a season of preparation for Christmas. But at the heart of Advent, and I'm going to say this as an Anglican, it's okay if if y'all aren't cool with this, but at the heart of Advent is not just something that happened in the past, nor is it just about making sure we're like super ready for the cool Christmas service that we have. And y'all are going to have a cool service, I'm sure. You got cool people. But what Advent is about is about knowing that we are always in this place of needing to prepare for the coming of Christ. Every day is Advent, y'all. And every day could potentially be Christmas. Not just because we should have the joy of Christmas in our heart all year long, but because Christ is alive and he comes to his people every day and he calls to them as we seek to interact with our brothers and sisters and he says who do you want to be do you want to be my disciple do you want to be the kind of person who brings life and flourishing and blessing and the power of the cross into the lives of people around you or is it a shady lady kind of day every day is a day where we're called to discipleship of christ the category of wisdom was a key one for the early church, the apostles, and then even up through the first few hundred years, even as we made the creeds, for us to understand the, the eternal nature of Christ that is ongoing ministry in the world. But it's one that opens up for us as Christians today the ongoing call to discipleship and formation in faithfulness to Christ. That's why we pay attention to this category. That's how we can understand Christ. And for us to know that today... Christ calls out in every place where you will meet someone. And he calls to you and says, what kind of person do you want to be? Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you, uh, I will give you the spirit. I will give you the life that brings life and blessing to others. And then through that, he has glory in the world. Let us pray.